Welcome to Geekiest Show Ever, number 27. My name is Tim Robertson, and in the studio with me is Chad Perry. Hello, hello. Back for another week. You got it. And back for another week is Guy Searle. Hey, Guy. Greetings and salutations. And we've got a fourth this week, a good friend, Rick Stringer. Hello, Rick. Hi, everyone. Now, you have another podcast. Go ahead and give yourself a plug. Uh, my okay, podcast. that's good. No. Yeah, thanks. All right. I, I can see how this is going to uh, go. Well, we had Guy last week that we were picking on, so, you know. <laughs> so, no, seriously, and I'm though. I'm sure it'll happen again before the, before the evening is done. Yeah, I'm we sure. saw your picks that we're talking about this week, Guy, so that's, <laughs> yeah. that goes without saying. Okay. Uh, Rick Stringer, you've got an award-winning podcast, which is nothing that I would be familiar with as far as award-winning, but... <laughs> what, the podcast or the awards? Either. Either okay. one, to be honest. I, I it, What I do here is barely considered a podcast guy. <laughs> Rick, on the other hand, I love your podcast, man, and, and all the kudos go out to you for producing an award-winning podcast. Tell, tell the listeners out there why they should be downloading Variant Frequencies and what's it all about. Well, Variant Frequencies is a podcast of original sci-fi, fantasy, and horror stories. And we come out at least once a month, but I usually manage to get it in a few more times than that. And we've won four Parsec Awards. Uh, The Parsec Awards go to um, a speculative fiction podcast uh, for excellence in speculative fiction uh, We've won various things, best best short story, best um, uh, anthology. There's been some really great stuff. Where did the uh, inspiration for the podcast come from, Rick? It all started as a promotion for uh, my wife, Anne, and our friend Matt Wallace to get their uh, writing noticed. It worked, huh? <laughs> uh, it has, especially for, for Matt. In particular, he managed to. Uh, he's now actually out in Los Angeles, uh, working on getting his film career going. Will it be amazing to you to see someone get to that level of success? Say he gets his stories out there on the big screen that initially was on your show. That would be so cool. I would love that. Maybe, maybe you'll have your name in the credits. <laughs> I don't know. No, I, seriously. It, I mean, really. It might. Or, yeah. or his name on a check. That would be great, too. <laughs> yeah. Now that, that's just crazy talk guy. Yeah, that yeah, really I, is. I, I think that's that's probably pushing it. If, if I even got my name up there, that would be a surprise, but it still would be cool. But just seeing Matt's stuff up there would be cool because mm-hmm. that was why we started the podcast was to get that stuff out there. And you succeeded. Mm-hmm. So this episode of Geekiest Show Ever, we're focusing on the music of John Williams. Now, we're not going to go through the guy's entire history and we're not going to do a retrospective or anything like that because, quite honestly, other than the Wikipedia information, I don't know enough about John Williams. What I know is the music that I enjoy, either on television or in the movies, of his music. Mm -hmm. I mean, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, E.T., the biggest movies of all time other than Avatar. And, well, did he do Avatar? I don't think so. No. Because I don't remember the movie from or the music from Avatar, mm-hmm. so. Obviously he didn't. He didn't yeah. do it. I don't remember <laughs> it. Um, he's, I think he's one of the greats nowadays mm-hmm. in, in the modern classical music composer genre. I don't think there's anybody above John Williams in my opinion. But then again, <laughs> I I, I'm not an expert in classical music either. <laughs> so I could be talking out of my ass and not even know it, right? 
But well, the adva- the advantage that he has is the the just the venue because most people have seen movies that that his music is in where you can't say that about many classical composers. But by the same token, there's a lot of movies that we have seen and it's the same composers in these different m- movies, but we don't even recognize it as such. But his music is so iconic mm-hmm. that when you hear it, you're like, that's John Williams. I know John Williams. That's John Williams. And I think that says something about his style and and the types of music that he produces. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. I mean, he, he really brings a different feeling to each movie that I've seen that he's done the music for. It, well, it just all it sets the mood so well. Yeah. yeah. I, you listen to the, for instance, like the Superman theme. You can't hear that song now and not think about Superman. That's Superman's theme forever. And same thing with Star Wars. When you hear the Star Wars theme song, yep. that's Star Wars. It, it, I don't know any other composer who's got that level of big budget movies, iconic characters that's created the music for that's stood the test of time. And I think that's really the key. It stood the test of time. So we uh, we all picked three songs that we thought represented uh, John Williams the best in our opinion. And oh, well, we, I never said the best. Well, mm. that we liked the most. <laughs> and uh, so I put a little uh, compilation between a minute and a half to two and a half minutes each. Of our picks, and we're going to start at Guy. So, Guy, right now we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to drop in your music, and then we'll talk about it. Okay. Okay, Guy Searle. <laughs> Explain yourself. I, I gotta I gotta admit, I don't know the first two pieces of music, so let's start there. What's the first one? Uh the first one is the Lost in Space theme from the iconic TV show. You know, the funny thing was when you first said Lost in Space, I thought you meant the big budget really crappy movie with no. the Friends Star. No, this is a TV no. show. Yeah. I yeah. I didn't realize his career went that far back mm-hmm. that he was writing theme song music in the 60s. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, well, he actually, goes, yeah. He, he goes back a lot farther than that, too. Yeah. 
So what made you pick the song? Um, well, you know, like probably everybody else, I, I went to his Wikipedia page, and as I was kind of going through, you know, some of the work that he'd done, and I saw Lost in Space. It was like, Lost in Space? Really? Really? Lost in Space? And then I, I started to think about it, and I went back and, you know, found a little clip of it and started listening to it. And it was like, you know what? Yeah, you can you can actually kind of hear, or at least I can, the the the, the beginnings of, of what was going to come later, like the, the horns, how they kind of stutter really, really quickly leading up to the, the crescendo of, of, you know, it, I don't know. It's difficult to explain, but it fit in so well with the, the opening animation that they had for that show. And, you know, and this is kind of what, you know, cause I sent you an email on this, you know, after you had kind of questioned my <laughs> two of my picks. <laughs> yeah. And and I was like, you know, this is this is something that that when I was a kid, and you have to remember, I was actually alive when Lost in Space was first being shown. That when you when you heard that theme music, it was like, oh crap, you know, time to s- stop playing with cars or whatever and go watch Lost in Space, and it would just it just drug you in, and it was it was the music that that just identified that 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 show to me, and I really really enjoyed it, and, and I, I just liked that song. Now. One of the reasons that's probably going to be a little bit more difficult, I can't speak for Rick, but I can speak for myself, and obviously Guy, after listening to you talk there, is we're geeks, and hence the name of the show, yeah. Geekiest Show Ever. So we may not know how to express ourselves when it comes to some of the classical music. Mm-hmm. We don't know some of the terminology, and I'm sure some of the people out there listening do, so please forgive us mm-hmm. when we say it, it's the horns, <laughs> because <laughs> we don't know what terminology else to, to use, you know. Well, it was, I, I believe it was a trombone that was, that was doing the, the I, stutter. I played the trombone, actually. Mm. Yeah, I did. I, I, I played band. the trumpet yeah. badly, but, you know, I did. So what's the second song? Second song is another six from a, the theme song from another 60s TV show, The Time Tunnel. And mm-hmm. if, if you listen to it, you know, he he works in he he works in time with like this background noise of a clock ticking back and forth, and it, and it just kind of builds up from there, and it starts off a little slow and quickly just just like grabs you and drags you in, and you know, and both of these shows, of course, if anyone who watches, you know, some of these retro channels, the, the, the shows themselves haven't really kind of stood the test of time. Yeah, stood the test of time. But you could you could hear the, the the beginnings of just how brilliant he could be when you know you heard these themes and I mean there were certain iconic composers in the sixties that was that were doing a lot of work in you know not only in the movies but in television and I think Williams really kind of you know started that and oh, never mind I I can't even express how what the what, what it is I'm I'm trying to say. Did did you give Dead him a silence. shot today, Chad? <laughs> <laughs> who's who's char who's who was in charge of giving guy the shot today and throwing the meat in the cage? Well, oh, we got to stop. Did you change his cat litter box? No. No, that's what it is. It was just bananas. No, the last song that you picked, uh, I could completely agree with. Uh, I love the music. It's from Saving Private Ryan. Right, Hymn to the Fallen. And uh, you know that Chad, you brought something in today yeah. to show me. What was that? Yeah, that was uh, actually our local symphony is doing a show on Saturday called Fallen Heroes, and they're doing, going to be playing Hymn to the Fallen as part yeah. of it. Yeah, and th- I thought that was I- ironic that you brought that in to show me, and mm-hmm. that was one of Guy's picks. Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful piece of music, obviously yeah. towards 
Well, it's more recent than anything else mm-hmm. that you picked by 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you think that if when you listen to that, you can hear the old John Williams in there or vice versa, that listening to this older stuff, you could kind of hear where he was going with his career? Um, no, I don't really think so. I, I think that, that there's there's a definite difference between the, the TV themes that, that, I, that I picked from the 60s and the music that he did for Saving Private Ryan, which for the most part, and you know, the, the whole soundtrack is brilliant, but this in particular, I mean, it, it draws you in, it makes you feel the pain of this older man as, he, as he's walking through the cemetery toward the gravestone that you know, does the big reveal at the end over who it is. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, just, it's just brilliant that, that he's able to convey such emotion with, and, you know, and, and it's not like Hymn to the Fallen is, is that complicated of a piece. No. It but just kind of flows. Unlike some of his other music, say Indiana Jones, when you can hear the music, it takes you to that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this song, if you're not, if you've only seen Saving Private Ryan, say once, listening to the song probably won't draw you to that scene. But if you see that scene, the music is absolutely perfect for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. and which is, which every, is kind of a. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, every man alive who's seen that movie and saw the ending. Mm-hmm. When he just kind of collapses to mm-hmm. his knees, and I, I don't know a man out there who who doesn't get choked up over mm-hmm. that. That is our Bambi being Bambi's mom <laughs> being shot. I mean, we all just choke up, and and your wife and then, looks at you, and you're like, "Shut up, yeah. <laughs> stop crying, stop looking at me, stupid allergies." <laughs> <laughs> I, I was yawning really loudly. Oh, I think I popped my jaw on that yawn. It's just it's tears from yawning. I need to go to the bathroom. This movie is stupid. <laughs> Steven Spielberg's and, and a stupid suck. head. You, I, you're stupid. I hate Tom Hanks. Um, no, but that music really captured that scene um, better than almost any scene in any movie for me. I mean, it's well, what, so powerful. What, what Williams does and does very, very well is – He's able to draw out emotions that, you know, regardless of what you're seeing on the screen, it, it just it just flows and you can you can feel what it is that he's trying to convey as, as far as, you know, his composition goes. It's like, OK, this is a sad piece and you know this is a happy piece and this is a marching piece. And, and it, it, you know, every single thing that he seems to seems to do that that's related to the visual media just it it just goes it takes you there you as and as you watch these scenes you can't imagine seeing it without also hearing that music do you think that john williams obviously he works closely with the directors and the directors that work with him like george lucas like steven spielberg keep continue to come back to him mm-hmm. to score their movies do you think it's an innate ability that he has to see something on screen and then convey that music or do you think he's just really good at collaborating with what the vision of the director is and because a lot of directors like George Lucas he puts temp music to his movies Mm -hmm. this is the kind of music and feeling that I'm going for in the scene John Williams would hear that and go okay I get it and make something better Mm -hmm. Um, what what do you think it is Chad do you think it's working with the directors or just watching a scene and going well this is what it is I think at this point he pretty much knows where he's going to go when he watches the movie yeah, I, I probably would agree with that. I mean, there may be some input from the director to say yay or nay on, you know, how loud something gets or how much 
you know, how how fast paced the music is, but I think in general he just he has an innate ability to know what music is what kind of score is gonna go best with that scene. Yeah. Rick, I think John Williams is one of these composers of soundtracks that he knows when to bring the music up and, and mm-hmm. get your attention and when to get out of the way and just set the mood of the film. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think any director who doesn't take his advice on what to do would be insane. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can get him to score a geekiest show ever theme. That would be cool. Oh, yeah. There you go. It, probably, it would probably just yeah, be yeah, like a raspberry sound. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think you would more likely probably score variant frequencies because they're at least award-winning. So. There you go. <laughs> there yeah. we go. Well, let's, I would uh, love that. <laughs> that speaking of sweet. Rick, let's play Rick's collection here, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Okay, Rick, you picked one of the most iconic pieces of music of all time first, Jaws. I mean, that music is so representative of what that movie was. How many times do you hear, even little kids nowadays are in the water going, I mean, that is the music to be scared in the water, isn't it? And how many B-grade comedies has it showed up on? Oh, yes. (laughs) That was the the first movie I remember scaring the crap out of me. Yeah. And, and uh, it, it holds up to this day, too. Yeah. Yeah, I'll never forget seeing that movie. We we actually saw it on opening night. This would have been 1971. And uh, out there on a double date with uh, some friends, and we're in the theater. And so nobody, you know, it was opening night, obviously, so nobody had seen this movie yet. Um. And <clears throat> the scene where um, Richard Dreyfus is looking at that hole in the, the boat. Yep. 
that it, it was like that entire theater jumped. It was like everybody jumped one seat back. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I liked about Jaws is they didn't rely on the shock value. The music would let you know something's about to happen. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's the only movie that the fish has a theme. <laughs> yeah. Except for maybe The Little Mermaid. <laughs> well, no, no. I would say maybe Finding Nemo. Oh, but... Finding Nemo. Well, but no, it didn't really have a theme song to Finding Nemo, did it? No, I don't think so. I don't remember one. Um, <laughs> but The Little Mermaid definitely did. But that's only half fish. Yeah, true. Um, I, for me, Jaws is... And the crab was a better singer, yeah. by the way. So. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember how he says it. The, the sharks in the water and <laughs> you're in the water and <laughs> and he loody dude <laughs> you know what scene i'm talking about yeah, yeah. um uh, I, I there's something about the camaraderie of the three main characters on the boat when they're out there mm-hmm. on oh, the yeah. water that just draws you in no matter how many times you've seen that movie yeah and it has so many great lines mm-hmm. like when he's Chugging or what is it? Churning the water. Chumming the water. Chumming the water. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's putting, he's putting the the bloody fish in the water. Yeah, and the shark comes up and he's like, "We're gonna need a bigger boat." <laughs> <laughs> he can't take down three. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's it's such a great movie. Unfortunately, they kind of diluted it in some respects because I was really sick of Jaws for a number of years because of Jaws two, three, Bionic oh, yeah. Jaws. I mean, it, oh, it, Disco mm-hmm. Jaws. It got really bad for a while there. Um, Disco Jaws. Disco Jaws. But you know, there's a uh, retrospective called The Shark is Still Working uh-huh. that I don't know if it's come out. I was following this the production of this for a long time. Yeah, Fonzie's in it. No, it's not. Oh, and uh, But it's, it's fans. <laughs> That uh-huh. really went around and interviewed all the main people of Jaws, including Roy Schneider before he died. Mm. Wow. Um, and it, it's all homegrown, but they got interviews with everybody. Mm-hmm. The, uh, Spielberg and John Williams for the music, mm. everybody. And it looked fantastic. And I need to check the status of that because I keep – in fact, you know what? I pre-ordered that DVD a couple of years ago, <laughs> and I still don't have it. What's going on? <laughs> but you might oh, want to check that out, right? take time. So your second pick, kind of, I was kind of surprised. Fiddler on the Roof. I had no idea that John Williams had anything to do with Fiddler on the Roof. Mm-hmm. Um, he won the Academy Award for it. I, I I had no idea, and I was surprised to see this uh, a pick from you. You really like Fiddler on the Roof? Actually, Fiddler on the Roof is one of my all-time favorite movies. Really? And I I wanted to pick something that wouldn't be the typical geek movie. No, this where, would qualify definitely. Yeah. Right, where all these other things that I, I, you know, I knew somebody would pick Star Wars, and and of course we have Jaws, and you know, and all these other things, and and I, I, I when I, I I thought about Williams, and of course I, you know, I just like everybody else looked up all the stuff he did. And I go, oh, Fiddler on the Roof, that it just clicked with me. But my problem was you didn't <clears throat> give me the song; you just said Fiddler on the Roof. Well, actually, so, there, there is a song, Fiddler on the Roof, but that's okay. What you picked is great. That's one of the, the iconic songs from that movie. Probably the most iconic song, really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, although, when I told my wife, I, I, I brought Julie into the room when I got done mixing mm-hmm. all this together, and I was playing yours for her, Rick, and she said, why is Fiddler on the Roof playing? I love that music, but what's that got to do with George Luke or George? Uh, she said George Lucas, actually. I said George <laughs> Williams. <laughs> George and, Williams. Yeah, I was all messed up. And uh, she said, uh, you mean John Williams? I said, yeah. Well, you're confusing me. <laughs> and she goes, 
well, get back to the point. Why is Fiddler on the Roof in there? Is that a joke? And I said, well, no, he did the music for that. Mm-hmm. So you did the research. What's going on? He won an award, you said? He won an Academy Award for that. Wow. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's an iconic piece of music. I mean, all night long last night. And, and yours was the second thing. Well, actually, I think yours might have been the first that I did, Rick. Mm-hmm. First or second. Um, all night long, I kept going. Whoa. <laughs> it was the one that I was humming to myself more than anything. Yeah, And, yep. and we're talking about some classic music. Yeah. So I, I, I'm just amazed that he did that music, really. Because mm-hmm. I wouldn't associate that music with John Williams. Well, I think what's different with that compared to all these other things is you've got not only the orchestral stuff, but there's vocals in there, which you don't tend to have in so many of these other movies that you right. you watch. And it and has it, to be music that you dance to. I mean, that's the whole point. Yep. I wonder how long he worked on that score. Because i got to imagine that took a lot longer to do than, say, Jaws. Because mm-hmm. well, Jaws is only, what, a couple notes anyways. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's not too difficult. Yeah, Come yeah, on. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, it, no, there's some really amazing because I didn't have any of the music from that soundtrack, and I actually had to go and buy and download it. Thanks, Rick. <laughs> you cost, cost me ten dollars in iTunes. Um, but my yeah, wife but now was you're very keep pleased. It. <laughs> I will. My wife loves the music from Fiddler on the Roof. She said it's it's one of her favorite scores of all time. Yeah, and just goes to prove that my wife's a geek too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so the last one, classic Indiana Jones. Yep. Oh yeah. Um, Who doesn't know that music? Yeah. And, you know, it still works today, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you hear just the first five Couple seconds of, of it, mm-hmm. dun, 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 that's it. You have to, you can stop right there and it's, oh, that's Indiana Jones. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though the, the last movie was horrible. Oh, yeah. Uh, everyone's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was. Um, well, it's the only Indiana Jones where, at the end, Indy's not the guy who saves the day. He, it's just yeah. incidental that he's even in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a kid from Transformers. Oh, it's horrible. Um yeah. But still, that music, it's really at the height of the collaboration between Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, and John Williams. Mm-hmm. And, and it really is those three guys. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this is really where it all comes together for all three of them. Because mm-hmm. you have George Lucas producing, you have Steven B- Spielberg directing, and of course George Lucas has to, or, um, George Lucas, John <laughs> Williams has to do the music. Absolutely. Could, does any other character have a better theme song that's more indicative of who the character is than that? I, think I can't so. imagine more. I think, so. I, I think Chad's uh, first I pick, but we'll get to yeah, that yeah, in a minute. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think that it's great picks, Rick. I think they're fantastic. Much better than guys. <laughs> no. I don't no. mind. No, no I just... Actually, in Guy's defense, I was a huge uh, Lost in Space fan. Oh, I too. was too. But the funny thing is, I don't remember the music at all. See, I oh, do I remember the music. So absolutely, uh, I don't. I some some stuff I remember. Like for me, the best theme song of a TV series from back in the day was Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, and well, I was see, so I'm, hoping I'm that George Lucas did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm older than you guys, so uh, Lost in Space, the the original Star Trek, those those things were were huge in in my part of my part of my childhood well you and you and guy are closer to age right yeah a little closer i'm i'm a little bit older you and guy should do a classic 60s yeah, and I'm 70s gonna be, i'm gonna be 26 this year yeah yeah <laughs> um, Me 27 yeah yeah see you you and guy should do a separate gse one of these days of themes from you know the 60s and the 70s of stuff that you liked 
Huh. Well, the problem is both Rick and I lived through the 70s, so our memories of the 60s might be somewhat... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself there, guy. Yeah, there you oh. go. <laughs> All right, well, I had the double whammy of the, of the 70s and South Florida, so... Oh, well. You know, yeah. The fact that I remember to tie my shoes in the morning is, is probably a good thing. <laughs> so we're halfway through, and now we get to Chad Perry's picks. And before we play it, Chad, I have to say that I'm kind of ticked off because you picked uh, two of the songs I was going to pick. So I had to make other – I was the last person to pick anything. Yeah. And you picked two of mine, so <sighs> – Chad Perry, you picked the Superman theme. That was going to be one of mine. I know, and I can't help it because every time I hear that theme music, I know what it's about. I I see the opening scene with the giant red sun and the planet Krypton and Marlon Brando. and <laughs> You know what that music does for me on a personal level? I always think, and, and you know, I grew up with comic books and mm-hmm. sci-fi and superheroes and all that stuff, as everyone here did. Gen- different generations, but still. Mm-hmm. Um when I hear the Superman theme, I always imagine what this world would really be like if a real superhero appeared, what it would do to all the different cultures in the world. If a Superman was real and hopefully, you know, would share our values because, mm-hmm. you know, let's be honest, that's what we care about. Mm-hmm. What would it do to the world? Rick, what do you think it would do in this day and age if a Superman was real? Well, you better hope he's on our side. That's uh, exactly what I said. I mean, you know, obviously. <laughs> yeah. And I hate the fact that yeah. we have to have sides, but we live in the real world, and that's yeah. just the way it is. Yeah. Well, it's fun fun to speculate on that. Um, I don't know. It, it's hard to say say what the world would really be like if somebody really existed like that. 
Um, Do you think it would be a better world or because if if he was an American, for instance, mm-hmm. how would the rest of the world react? I think it wouldn't be a positive thing. I think they'd all be afraid. I think so, too. And usually fear leads to war, no? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. Do you think – what do you think, Guy? Do you think a superhero, a real honest-to-goodness Superman would be bad for the world or good? Uh, it would. I guess, you know, most people would be scared. Most countries would be scared, and, and they would all try to get him on, you know, whatever particular side that, uh, that, that they wanted. And then the race would be on to try to figure out how to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sad world that that's probably – I, I think my glorious view of what it would be like, how everyone would be inspired, and you know, mm-hmm. that's probably not what would happen. Probably unfortunately, not. yeah, no, I don't think so. But I, I, Chad, that's one of my favorite pieces of music of all time. It, mm-hmm. I remember the commercials. You will believe a man can fly. Oh and yeah, that music yep. to me is all about a man flying. The wondrous, mm-hmm. he's in the air and he's flying. Yeah, and. uh Will there ever be another Superman theme that's better than that? Can you imagine that? No. No. I don't know if you can run a Superman movie without playing that theme. Did they I mean, do that can, in Superman Return? We, we went to see that together. Yeah, I remember. I don't remember if that was the music that I they played. I don't remember either, to tell you the truth. It was such a crappy, you know, peeping Tom Superman movie that I yeah. don't... <laughs> <laughs> but he does. He's... he's, he's uh, oh, anyway, I don't want to get into well, that. Well, and they wasted Kevin Spacey's role. Oh, absolutely. Well, they yeah. gave Lex Luthor the same damn plot they gave in the original movie. Yeah, well, he's just a land grabber. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> you got mm-hmm. Superman, and it's it's really, we have to have Lex Luthor again. Mm-hmm. And, he, and this time he's going to make a continent, and, uh, you know, there's a real estate crisis coming in six years. So, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but still, brilliant piece of music. Yes. Your second pick, a little bit less obvious, I think, although... Truth be told, that was going to be on <laughs> mine as well. I thought, I'm going to pick this because no one else will pick. Everyone's going to assume I'm going to pick A, but yeah. I'm going to pick B. Well, you picked B, so I had to go with C. I know. Um, go ahead. Uh, that is the asteroid field from The Empire Strikes Back. And one of the best prob- one of the best scenes, I think, in, in the whole movie. And the music just went so well with it because it was, you know, there's almost this sense of everything's happening too fast. There's a sense of panic. You know, I just I can still see them flying through the asteroid field, dodging, having TIE fighters fly into asteroids, and still. And yet the Falcon is very smooth and graceful yeah. doing it. And the but music in the meantime, you've that. got Chewie <clears throat> and C three PO and R two D two trying yeah, to fix the, the hyperdrive and screaming at each other. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's very frantic, but yet yeah. there's still a gracefulness yeah. about it. And I and I think you're right. The music really fits that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of video games, obviously. Star Wars, mm-hmm. and anytime they have that music in the video game, mm-hmm. I don't care what the scene is in the video game that you're playing. That's the asteroid field. Stop yeah. playing that here when I'm on Hoth or something. Right. Come on. I mean, it's very specific on where it belongs, mm-hmm. and uh, it's one of my favorite pieces of music. I can yeah. listen to that, and I try not to think of Star Wars, but that's Star Wars. I mean, yeah. no matter what. Now, your third pick, 
I wouldn't have I wouldn't have guessed that from you. So really? what's what's the third pick? Some a lot of people out there are probably thinking I don't know what that third thing. Well, what was that? Uh, it sounds familiar. That is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Where in the movie does this happen? That is the actual name of the piece is called TV Reveals, which it took me a while because I went through the entire score and tried to figure out. I know this. I know the music I'm looking for, and right. I could not find it in the other in the other uh, scores. And then I I found it finally, and it's it's the point where Richard Dreyfuss has been making mountains out of mashed potatoes. He yes. makes a mountain in his <laughs> living room. He finally sees the TV where they've got the whole fake, oh, the Devil's Mountain, we're evacuating. There's been a horrible gas leak or something. I can't remember what they said, some sort of a nerve gas leak or some sort of... And everybody's getting out. And he sees it on TV, and that's when everything clicks. And he's like, I have got to go to Devil's Mountain right but now. But he's not the only one. Right. Which, of course, isn't revealed until later. But... Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if that movie really holds up as well as I would like it to nowadays. It's mm-hmm. it's very set in the 70s. Yeah. I mean, it's very much of that time. Do you think that it's time for someone to maybe revisit that concept, Close Encounters of the Third Kind? I know we just had some movie that was like, it's the fourth kind and it's some scary crap. Mm-hmm. But this concept of the aliens never really communicate with the humans, at least in the theatrical release they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very wondrous. It's very, are, is, are these people mm-hmm. crazy? Did this really yeah. happen? Um, but I, I think that that music really captured the spirit of that movie mm-hmm. better than that's what most people will. Yeah, but at, at the same time, that you know, that those particular five notes pretty much everyone knows where they're from. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, if you think close encounters, you're going to think of those five notes. But, you know, every time I think of Close Encounters, that is the music that I hear. I, I agree with you. So do I. Because it's more wondrous. And that's yeah. really the the concept from Close Encounters that I took out. There's aliens out there. Mm-hmm. We can't really comprehend their technology. And it's not scary. It's wondrous. And when the, the little ships are flying around and the big ships and... That kind of music yeah, and they would aren't, be... Yeah, they aren't on an interstellar real estate grab. You know? Right, yeah. They're not trying to steal our resources and Will Smith's F-16 has to save us. Yeah. Actually, I think it was F-22 technically. Uh, but, well, yeah. Um, but still, you know, it's it's one of those rare extraterrestrial type of movies that it's not scary. It's mm-hmm. not meant to be. It's, it's a mystery and yet it's wondrous. Mm-hmm. And it kind of puts us in place as... A human race. It's yeah. you know, there's there's other stuff out there, and I think it's a better movie in that regard than even E.T. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Now nobody picked E.T. I was kind of surprised about that. And I thought about picking E.T. Actually, did because you? I, yeah, because I had that when I was when I was growing. Actually, I had a lot of John Williams scores on vinyl when I was a kid. I had the Star Wars. I had that. I had uh, E.T. What else did I have? Oh, I had uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I had on the roof. Fiddler, I, did yeah. not, I did not have Fiddler on that, the roof. That was right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a uh, audio record of Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. where it, the the record was like an hour. So obviously they butchered the crap out of the movie to put mm-hmm. the sounds in there. Yeah. But they used actual sound clips from the movie yep. on this record. But the whole soundtrack, the music was actually there too. Mm-hmm. So I remember listening to that. And, you know, mm-hmm. the, the emperor is most displeased. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I could recite the whole darn thing. And uh, I wonder if the new, if, if our kids will appreciate soundtracks the way we did. I don't think they do. Well, but then again, I, I don't know. Well, I think one of the things, too, that makes 
you know John Williams music stick out to us is is because of Star Wars because you know it was one of the first science fiction movies to actually have an orchestral score put to it yeah especially of that magnitude yeah what you, you were going to say something Rick yeah I was just going to say that um, my kids who are uh, twenty and sixteen mm-hmm. um, they are big fans of the music of Danny Elfman. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Boinko, boinko. Yep. yep. Yeah. Can you imagine oh. that? That's where he came from. That I was his know. roots. That's crazy. Um, so, yeah. You know, I, I'm going to play mine here in a second, but I'll say that uh, my 16, well, soon to be 16 year old daughter, uh, my first track that I picked is one of her favorite songs. So maybe it's just you know she doesn't. She's not in with the John Williams, Star Wars mm-hmm. theme, and the Superman theme. They, she doesn't know what it is. She doesn't have that connection to the movies that we did because mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. never really saw it in the big screen. She just saw, yeah. you know, and she never went out of her way to watch it. If it was on, she'd watch a little mm-hmm. bit of it. But she'd be bored because it's Superman in the 70s. Ooh, what's up with his hair? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why is this woman, Lois, supposed to be pretty? She's not pretty. <laughs> Look what she's wearing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to get past that. Their, their scores are going to be like, oh. That's the music from New Moon or whatever the Twilight yeah, yeah, thing I know. is. Yeah. I have to get a Twilight dig in every episode now, by the way. <laughs> you still haven't watched it? No. You still haven't read it either, have you? No. I know. So here is uh, my picks. So we just listened to my picks. Okay, so the first two I got, the last one I didn't. But let's talk about number one first. Number one, uh, probably the the newest piece of music from John Williams of all of our picks, and of course that's Hedgewig's theme from the Harry Potter movies. 
Um, I love the Harry Potter series. Does has anybody else read it? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, all the way through. Okay. Yep. Uh, is the, is it just me or is that mm-hmm. music absolutely perfect for Harry Potter? Not just the movies, but the whole the books and everything. When I hear yeah. that music, I want to read the books again. Mm. Yeah, it, it it really does work well. And and what's amazing is you know when you see previews of the movies before they come out. That's usually the, those last couple notes from Hed, Hedwig's theme is what they're playing as they're doing the fade out. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. it's when you hear it now, that's mm-hmm. it's magical. That's Harry Potter. There's no question about it. Yep. And uh, along with Indiana Jones and Superman, I would say that is one of the best themes for a character, just a single character mm-hmm. of any movie. Yeah, it he def- he defined it. He he yeah. defined he defined the movies with his music. You know, I uh, I saw the movies before I read the books. That being said, had I read the books first and someone said, what's the music for Harry Potter? I, I never could have got it. I don't know how John Williams does it because you hear that now and that's it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Anybody disagree with that pick? Think that that's not very good? No, that's a great oh, pick. Oh, that's a great pick, yeah. Second one is Yoda's theme from Star Wars, yep. Empire Strikes Back. When Luke Skywalker cannot get his own X-wing out, and so Yoda's got to step in and show him how it's done. Mm-hmm. But in all honesty, we knew what that, the Force was in the first movie and going into the second movie, but we didn't really grasp what you could really do with the Force until yeah. Yoda shows you. That is yeah. why you fail. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I can't believe it. Um, <laughs> and in the majesty of little tiny Yoda. Making this entire X-wing fighter just majestically rise up effortlessly out of a swamp. Yep, and float over their heads and land in the expression of Mark Hamill's face mm-hmm. as he's just kind of glancing in and touching it with his hand, mm-hmm. and and it comes down and the wondrous look on his eyes, looking at Yoda. I, I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it, but I can't tell you. I when when did Empire come out? Eighty two. Yeah, yeah. So twelve year old Tim went home and was practicing for. Months trying to make trying a pencil to stack move. Up rocks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I try. I started easy. I just put a pencil on a desk and concentrated really hard. I well, can't so, believe this pencil won't move. That is why you failed, and that's why you failed. Little did Tim know he suffered from a metachlorian deficiency. <laughs> <laughs> However, new from Pfizer, yeah, that's right. <laughs> the little purple Medi- pill. Metachlor. <laughs> I think I just got that email. <laughs> yeah. It um, caused baldness. It, it's one of my favorite parts of Well, all... we'll make an X-ring rise anyway. Yeah, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's okay. actually one of my favorite scenes of, of any of the Star Wars movies. Yes. Because it's the part where the, he leaves – unfortunately, he ruins it with the, the newer trilogy. But he leaves the science and the technology behind, and he gets into the wondrous that mm. this little frog <laughs> – okay, Yoda, it's a little frog. Yeah. <laughs> it's Kermit with big ears. I know. Um, Same balling. guy doing the voice, too. Yep. It's mm, ah, you. Um, <laughs> it is making something – happen that he shouldn't be able to do. Yeah. And it's the only thing in the entire Star Wars movies that you can't... Everything else in the movies, from traveling through f- hyperspace, you know, real fast, right. 
lightsabers, light uh, laser guns, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Technology. It's technology. We could kind of see that could yeah. probably become real one day, mm-hmm. but not the Force. That's right. the the medica- metaphysical aspects of the movies that captured me. And yeah, it's quasi religious, mm-hmm. but yet it doesn't attribute to there's a God, and that's right. why you can do it. it's it's just something else. And that was. That's what I thought was real powerful about the force. And I think that song, that theme, really represents yeah. what that force of nature is. Hmm. So what was the second one? Or that was the second one, the last one. Now, none of you guys knew what this song was because I didn't tell you what my picks were. I just sent you the, the sound clip and said, this is my third pick. Yeah, right. Nobody knew until I told you before we started recording. Mm-hmm. It is the theme music from the movie 1941. Also a Spielberg flick. Yep, and John Williams not, and not one of his better well-known <laughs> movies. I, w- I don't want to say it's not one of his better well-known. Well, it's not as well-known, but I don't want to say it's not one of his better movies. It's hilarious. Now, Rick, well, you haven't seen it, it though. Parts of I it. Did, I did not. John Belushi, John Candy is in it. Mm-hmm. Yep, Dan uh, Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd. Um, but George really, Decay. well, no, I don't know. No, probably, I don't think so. Um, it's it's. It's campy, it's stupid, but it's so funny. Now, the funny thing is George, um, I'm sorry, John Williams and Steven Spielberg actually spoofed themselves at the very beginning of this movie. If you remember, it starts on a foggy shore. A woman pulls up in a pickup truck, and she's got a robe on that says the Polar Bear Club. Mm -hmm. She takes off the robe, she's completely naked, and she jumps in the water to go swimming. And you hear the Jaws theme. (laughs) <laughs> and you're sitting there that. you're sitting there thinking well wait a minute i thought this was mm-hmm. this is jaws she looks like the woman from jaws mm-hmm. it's on the ocean the jaws music is playing mm-hmm. you think something bad's going to happen and something kind of bad does happen the periscope <laughs> from, from a japanese sub, sub rises up mm-hmm. she clings to the top of it they she goes way up in the air she's mm-hmm. butt naked with her butt hanging right there in front mm-hmm. of everyone no one sees her until the very end. The last guy going in the submarine looks up and sees her, this naked blonde. He's mm-hmm. going, Hollywood, Hollywood. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's hilarious. But they mm-hmm. spoof themselves. And if you're yeah. going to spoof anybody, spoof yourself. And it was a perfect spoof. I mean, it worked mm-hmm. so well. Now, do you have Netflix streaming, Rick? Yeah. I'm seriously, go watch it. At least okay. the first five minutes, it'll crack you up. It's really funny. Um, it's got a naked woman. I'm in. You're in. And <laughs> yep. she's very well naked. Um, <laughs> very she's well naked done. well. Yes. She she does nude well. I'll just say that. Um, it, it's a funny movie. And, and obviously, you know who's going to steal the show. Right. Of course. <clears throat> but I never realized when I first saw this movie that it was Steven Spielberg and John Williams that did this. Mm-hmm. But the music always stood out to me. I always thought – you know, this music is so much better than the movie. It really is. Because when you hear it, you it, it could be for almost anything. Um, it kind of sounds like maybe it was, was that in Stripes? Was that Private Benjamin? Because it, it's definitely an army-ish right. type it's of... Right, it's got the military theme. Yeah, and it's kind of patriotic a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it's for a joke movie, really. If you guys haven't seen that out there, listen to the podcast, go rent 1941. I guarantee... You'll laugh at least five times, and that's good enough for any comedy, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, Len- uh, Lenny and Squiggy are in it. Really? Yeah. They're yeah. they're the guys that are manning that big AT-AT. The, oh, jeez. The anti-aircraft well, they, 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 gun. I've forgotten most of that movie, but you're right. It, it's, <laughs> they it's were hilarious. in a couple movies together. They also did um, 
uh, used cars with Kurt Russell. Yes, he did. Yeah, yep, I, I remember that. that. I just saw that a couple months ago, too. Which is a great movie. Yeah, but it but, doesn't hold up. <laughs> no, I think it does, but never mind. But, you know, it's, 1941 actually does hold up because it's not supposed to... They they set it in a very specific time, December mm-hmm. 1941, two weeks after Pearl Harbor. Everybody's freaking out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's zany. Ted Beatty is in it, mm-hmm. you know, um, from Superman. Yeah. What was his name? Ned Beatty. Ned, Ned, Ned Beatty. Beatty. Yeah, Ned Beatty. What was he in Superman? Uh, Otis. Otis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he plays the father of the one girl. And then there's a pilot who's trying to get the one girl up in a plane because that's the only time she'll, you know, get excited. Get excited. Um, it's so stupid. It's so funny, but it still boggles my mind that John Belushi was in a Steven Spielberg movie. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. craziness. I mean, I, I didn't realize that until oh, he, they did 1941. Oh, and, and Slim Pickens was in it as well. Oh yeah, because he's the prisoner on the Japanese sub. Right. Oh my God, that is so funny. Which is kind, kind of spoofing his role, uh, Doctor Strangelove. Yeah. Doctor yes. Strangelove. Yep. Yep, and when they give him the uh, the prune juice because he swallows the compass, which they need, <laughs> and, he, and he's like, I can't do it with you guys pointing guns at me all the time. So they go out, and he's dropping his boots in the toilet, so you hear splash, oh, splash. And they come running in there, and he's not in there, except two boots are sticking out of it like he went head first into the toilet. They're like, huh? <laughs> and and here's, here's a bit of trivia. The German soldier... That's on the sub with the Japanese. That is the uh, bad wizard from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Christopher Lee. Christopher, Christopher Lee. Lee uh, yeah, who's also in Star Wars. Wars. Yeah, I didn't realize it wasn't him. Uh, that it was him at first until I was watching half the movie. I was like, "Wait a minute, pause! Oh my god!" <laughs> also, you've got Robert Stack playing. You know, cause he does. He has that very distinctive voice. Well, and he and plays the same role, and I mean, it's Robert airplane, Stack. Airplane. Yeah. 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 Tim um, Matheson. Yeah, he's the pilot that's trying to get the girl get up the in the girl, plane. Yeah. But still. Well, Tim, Tim Matheson always played the same character, too. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but it's a brilliant movie. I, I think it's really great. It's one of those gems that is completely overlooked by most people. You don't even think about it as far as great comedies mm-hmm. go. Um, I think it's kind of got the short shift. I mean, it, it, it was funny. But it, it doesn't feel like a Steven Spielberg movie. And <laughs> no. this great John Williams score, while it's great for this movie and it really works, it, you would think they would repurpose this for something else because it's a brilliant piece of music. I love it. That's why I put it on my list. It's such a good no. piece of music that it could work in almost any situation. So we're coming up on the 55-minute uh, mark, guys. We need to wrap up the show. Hey, Rick, I really appreciate you coming on this week, man. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. Need to have you on more often. I know you can't do it every week, but anytime you've got a Thursday evening free and we're doing the show, just let us know you're on. Okay. Chad, as always, yep. you going to be here next time? I would like to be. Awesome. And Guy. What's yeah, going? I'll be here too. All right. All right. Well, let's, <laughs> let's get a couple more plugs real quick. Rick, what's the coming up for Variant Frequencies? Well, um, at Balticon in Baltimore, Maryland, I'm going to be doing Variant Frequencies Live. Oh, really? First live performance of one of our stories. Wow. Are you going to be reading? Balticon? At Balticon, yep. Is that in In, Baltimore? Yes, Baltimore, Maryland. I'm in that that area. Send me some info on that. Sure. Yep. Are you going to be doing the reading? I will be doing the reading, yes. Awesome. Wow, now I want to go. I know it. I can't afford to go. 
There are a lot that of sucks. podcasters that are going to get there. <laughs> really? A lot of fun, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's actually probably one of the bigger cons for podcasters. There's going to be what, What's the date of, on that? It's um, the Memorial Day weekend. Oh, so there's still time. Mm-hmm. So who are you reading? Um, I am doing a story by um, jo- uh, Jonathan C. Gillespie. We've done a couple of his stories in the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one is a really good story of his. I, I think people are going to really enjoy it. Are you nervous about getting in front of uh, people and reading? No. No? It'll be fine. Well, I, uh, I know you're good on stage because we've been on stage before. Yeah. Wasn't yeah, a I'll, very big I'll, audience, I'll do, but. <laughs> no. No, I, I'll be fine. I'll be amongst friends. So. Guy Searle, what's going on with the MyMag.com podcast lately? Uh, well, we've got a new co-host. That's Gaz Maz, who's over there from the U.K., and uh, so far, it's working out great. He's he's coming. He's going to be on at least the next two shows. Now I know he's uh, he's taking a vacation. I think some point in April, so he's going to miss a little bit of time. But looking forward to having him on. Yeah, I think he's really uh, great. I think he works real well with you. You guys complement each other mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, he's the the newer Mac user. You're the old hand at it. So I think that's uh, it works. Yeah, he can remind me of all the stuff I've forgotten. There you go. That's a full-time job in itself. Absolutely. As we well know, uh, get get, get the beef ready over there, Chad. (laughs) Rick, you've got the rope, right? Yeah, you bet. Uh, Okay. uh, I'm uh, playing the cow right now. (laughs) Who shaved the Wookiee? I, of course, have been uh, busy doing the OWC radio podcast, and that's a lot of fun. You know, the weird thing is, when I started the MyMac podcast, the very first episode I did by myself, I think maybe the first two episodes I did alone. Yeah. And after that, I said, I can't do a podcast by myself. I suck at it. And that's when you joined me on that show, Chad. And um, after Chad left, it was David and Guy. And now I've moved over to OWC Radio, and it's, well, it's just me. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's taken some adjusting. As in, I don't think it's more of a skill level. I think it's more of a comfort level. Yeah. In a oh my gosh, it's I have a microphone in front it, of me. It, I okay, go. Mm-hmm. All right, we're, we're listening. What are you going to do? Uh, I just found that if I make notes really well and I kind of stay on topic, mm-hmm. I do pretty well. But I hope that anybody listening to this show that hasn't heard me on OWC Radio will give it a chance. Give MyMac.com a chance. Uh, we produce a lot of different podcasts over there. Um, you're going to find something you like, I guarantee it. Just go to MyMac.com, look on the right hand side. You'll see some little 125 by 125 banners, and you'll see Sam's Cool Picks, which, uh, heads up, is going away. It's going Mm -hmm. to be relaunched to something totally different, but we'll talk about that another time. Uh, My Phototech, My Victory Garden, the MyMac.com podcast with the Mm G-Men, and, of course, this show, Geekiest Show Mm -hmm. Ever. Uh, Make sure you check out Variant Frequencies. Um, Chances are, once you start listening to that, you're not going to want to listen to this stuff here anymore. But that's okay. (laughs) We we just want you to get the good entertainment. And we'll be the slapsticky stuff here to to help you drive to work occasionally. But seriously, Variant Frequencies. We're focusing more on quantity than quality. That's right. And Rick is going for the quality, definitely. (laughs) So if you you really want to hear a great podcast, check that out. It's so much better than anything I'm doing. That's right. We're the double cheeseburger to his filet mignon. There you go. So with that, we're going to wrap up this episode, uh, Geeky Show Ever, number 27. We'll be back in two weeks with the 20th, I guess that would be the 28th edition, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be 28th. What are we going to talk about? Any ideas? No, we always figure it out just before we get on. Yeah, that's true. Well, actually, this time we had like a week. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So we'll see you guys in two weeks.
And to end the show, something that John Wims had nothing to do with. Ha 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 ha.